Hello everyone, I'm William Coldwell, host of the 21st Rewrite. I'd like to say thank you for listening and offer an introduction to this week's episode. As a screenwriting podcast, we do think a lot about which stories we would like to dedicate our research time to, while maintaining a healthy balance between the stories our audience might know and those we think will spark the best conversations. This week we have decided to do something a little bit different. Only those that really follow the screenwriting world will even have read Bruin, but presumably when the film is made, it will be a significant production. So with that in mind, we have a relatively spoiler-free episode for you, where we only look at the first portion of the screenplay. Obviously, we have to reveal the main characters, and the basic premise, and the early events that happen in the screenplay, but we hope this only serves to get people interested in the project and see a different side to our shows, a screenplay review that is not affected by having seen the final product. Ultimately, we hope this might just cause some interest in people who are learning about screenplays, that there are all these other unproduced versions online that can be used, and to see what is going on in the industry right now. Ruin is set in post-war Germany, and was written by the Firpo brothers. The story follows an ex-SS soldier known only as The Captain, who is hunting down and killing all of the surviving members of his unit for the crimes they have committed on behalf of the Nazi regime. Along the way, he meets Elsa, a Jewish camp prisoner who has survived the war and the Holocaust that has claimed the lives of all of her relatives. She is the key for the captain to reach his ultimate nemesis, Anton Richter, the unit's commander, due to her shared history with him, which is revealed as the story progresses. The screenplay is available to read online and was originally posted on the blacklist. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the 21st Rewrite, the podcast where we look at a screenplay written in the 21st century. I'm William Coldwell, and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Alan Vasquez. Hello, everybody. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about Ruin, a script written by Matthew and Ryan Furpo. And I just got to say, I really, really love this script. But first off, we should say that Ruin is a blacklist script. The blacklist is a list that's revealed at the end of the year usually revealed by writers in the film industry, and they're considered the best scripts that have not yet been produced. Ruin happens to be at the top of the list last year, 2017, and it's already being picked up, so it's actually being made into a film, which is really exciting. This is going to be an interesting turn for us. We're going to look at a film that hasn't yet been made, right? and then there's a potential for a follow-up episode at some point when the film Ruin comes out, because it has been picked up. We're going to be imagining... Yeah, what the end product might be like, and it's got a lot of potential. Yeah. Uh, so, what do we know about the film? So, the film is going to be directed by Justin Kurzel, who directed Macbeth and Assassin's Creed. So, one good and, film and, and one, one really bad film. Bad film. Yeah, that's a little worrisome. Macbeth was very well directed, and it's also a good example oh, of a it. very good script. I mean, back, Macbeth has been around well, as yeah. a story for a very long time, yeah, and it's very popular. So right. we're, we're pretty certain that Shakespeare is good at writing. So he was able to do a lot with good material, and maybe Assassin's Creed just wasn't great material, and right. I don't really know. Yeah, and this is going to be a completely different experience because, like you said, this is a script that we haven't seen the film for. Reading it, I was totally imagining 
my own stuff. You know, I have mm-hmm. no actors attached in my head. Well, at one point I did look it up and Margot Robbie is going to be playing Elsa, the lead character. So at points she would kind of come into my imagination because I kind of knew she was going to play the role. Yeah, and that might change because Gal Gadot was going oh, really? to be um, Elsa oh. for a bit as well, which would have made sense. And I don't I... know why she has uh, yeah. chosen not to pursue it. I can see more Gal Gadot, actually. I thought it was Margot Robbie. I don't know. We'll see. And I mean, she's the most yeah. famous woman in Israel. And that's kind of relevant to this character who is Jewish. Right, so. right, right, right. That is true. So, yeah, this is going to be a different experience. And uh, I'm very excited about the fact that Justin Kurzel, even though I haven't really seen any of his work, um, I did research a little bit about him. And then some of trivia that I found is that he loves Westerns and he infuses any sort of Western elements into all of his films. And I think hopefully that's a good match with this director. Okay, so let's begin with the setting. And right. I, I have some strong feelings on setting films in World War II and especially films that touch upon the Holocaust in particular. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not entirely comfortable with the usage of this kind of an event just for fantasizing. Tarantino did it with Inglorious Bastards. He did. And it was a great film. Th- there isn't necessarily something that I disagree with in the idea of setting any fiction in this time period. But I think you need to be really, really careful with what you do and what you suggest. Right. To give you an example of a Holocaust film I think is bad, for example, is The Zookeeper's Wife. I don't know if you've seen that one. I saw the trailers for it, and it looked it looked like it would be kind of a intense film, but I haven't seen it. So what I disagree with with those kind of films are that they they make this kind of suggestion that the idea of this period of history was to reveal the good people who would like stand in the way and prevent it from happening. But really, we I think the reality of it showed that a lot of normal people participated in this. Right. And it's a it's something that's kind of within humanity in general, that potential for, for doing harm, that potential for right. war, that potential for genocide. Right. That potential to make other groups of people so marginalized you don't think of them as human anymore. And then what that really means. Mm-hmm. And the Schindler's List wasn't that kind of film. On paper, it is a film about the guy who saved as many people as he could. Right. But it's also about that inner conflict and being so torn about trying to do something good in such a harsh world. Other films that don't do it right are the ones where they ju- the whole idea of the story is just like, yeah, we're going to save all the Jews. And it just doesn't reflect reality. It doesn't treat it with the respect it deserves. I see. This is a different kind of film. It uses the setting as a way to create drama. Mm. And so maybe it, it doesn't entirely fit my, my definition of what a good Holocaust movie should be. Right. But it certainly doesn't go completely the opposite way either. Pretty much every character in this film is a terrible person. Yes. And they're in some way trying to right the wrongs or move on from 
yes the the things that they've been through yeah so it's an interesting setup to yeah. begin with uh, well you know i never really saw it as a holocaust movie i, I mean it, there's definitely scenes that are there that have the holocaust and they're very intense and very disturbing scenes like some of them even though we've seen dozens of movies that pertain to the holocaust nonetheless there were some scenes in in this script where i was like oh my god like that's terrible like it kind of a part of me does ask like do we really need to revisit this over and over and over mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's like we've seen enough i almost feel like our generation as the people who really experience this history yes. are becoming so old and, and dying out as a as a as a group right we're now revisiting it and trying to decide how we're going to treat this stuff yeah exactly exactly yeah. yes that's a good point because you know it, like i was saying it's almost like do we really need to see this again but we're seeing it from a different lens mm -hmm. and we're seeing it from a different perspective because it's not there as in like let's pay attention to this particular subject it's organically there as part of a story that deals with other themes that connects with that in some way like you're saying the inner conflict that mm -hmm. that's part of what the character the main character is going through the character of the captain and, and so in a way I, I kind of accepted it you know mm -hmm. okay so yeah there's these very disturbing scenes about the holocaust and whatnot but it's essential to the story and i don't think it's gratuitous or, or in any way yeah, and it kind of goes uh, in the same kind of field as as what we were looking at with Manchester by the Sea of are there certain things that you can do in life or can have happened to you in life that you'll never be able to recover from. Right. And and that's exactly what Elsa and the captain and pretty much every single character is going through in this film. It, it like you said there's no good characters except the kids that come out occasionally. Yeah. In their, in their, it's in decision journey. time for these characters. It's yeah. how do you move forward in, in this new world? And the title Ruin, it's it's taking uh, the place of the actual setting. Germany is in ruins. Right. And the characters themselves, their inner world is in ruins. Their psyche is in ruins. And we're first introduced to this this kind of lone character. Right. Who has no name. He is the captain. He is nameless, yes. We're introducing him, and, it, and it's a very Western setting. It's very, it takes its time introducing this character. And he's, your, you know, your kind of typical brooding lone wolf type of character. But there's something about the way, one thing I will say is that the descriptions and the way this script is written is so engaging. Mm -hmm. I mean, usually when I read a script, I kind of skim through I don't skim, but I read really fast the description and then I read the dialogue or it does just kind of how the way it goes for me. I'm like, okay, yeah, they go from here to there. You don't really mm -hmm. read a script for poetic stuff. But for this, like I just was so enthralled by the journey. Like I was envisioning every beat and this the script kind of really does a really good job at setting yeah. up this character and it's making written, him intriguing. It's written with very few stage directions, mm -hmm. but it, it tells you a lot about what the characters are thinking right. and that right even though that initially seems hard to put into film actually it's it's probably better than a stage direction because you're right. you're being told about the inner world of the character and then the actors can can convey that in the way that they feel is most appropriate exactly that's exactly right and and i feel like that 
the the writers knew their characters so well that every emotional beat is literally there on the on the script. And you get to see, like you say, the inner life of these characters. And so right off the bat, we're drawn to the captain. Why is he doing what he's doing? He's going after people that he once worked with, you know, these Nazis. And we already that's intriguing. Like, what? Do, why is he? Did they kill yeah. someone that he loved? Did he just, you know, have a change of heart? Like, what is going on? Already the, the story kind of hooks you because you want to know why is he killing these Nazis? He's one himself. Yeah, and that's revealed by the scar that he has. Um, so right. first, one of the people he kills, their tattoo is revealed mm -hmm. uh, of the skull. Mm -hmm. And then we later see him without his shirt on, and he's trying to remove his tattoo, but the scar is still there. So we know he was part of the, the right. SS unit. Which is great exposition. Like, you're just seeing it. You don't have to describe it or anything. It's, I yeah. love it when films just with a very simple touch it tells you everything you need mm -hmm. to know and this was really good at doing that and yeah westerns in general are set in a world full of chaos where there's a lot of lawlessness and right. this post-war setting is the same thing you you get the sense that no one's in charge right whoever's in charge is just doing it through sheer brute force you know mm -hmm. that occasionally russian soldiers turn up in in one scene for example that their power is coming from the fact that they're the victors the captain is moving around as this kind of shadowy figure on a motorbike, almost like a, a cowboy would have done on, on his trusty steed. Yep. And there's there's even a scene kind of where he's saying goodbye to the motorbike, and that's yeah, that's kind of reminiscent of those yeah. old westerns when the, the horse is, isn't able to carry on with the, with the hero, and you get the sense of, well, this is a, a point of no turning back at this step. Right. Yeah, that that's very true. That makes a lot of sense. And he's always got his guns on him. He's yep. he's always prepared for for something, preparing his attacks on the SS squad and he's also protecting himself from attacks, but he's also considering whether he even wants to go on living and he's he's using his gun as a Oh yeah. Yeah, as a way to answer that question of whether he should even carry on. That was one of the things that really pulled me into the story because it kind of just reveals the state of this character mm -hmm. and it makes you want to know what drove him to this point. Yeah. So he's, the, the initial description of the captain is he's a solemn shell of a man, a powerful frame with nothing left inside. Mm. So this is how we're being drawn in. This is, this is all we know about him. What drives someone to feel that way is kind of the hook to get us into the story mm -hmm. uh we know he's after a person called anton richter mm -hmm. and that will continue to be developed around the beginning but at the beginning it's him alone and a little bit of a scene to show who richter is richter is described as a man who has never apologized for anything yeah and actually i th i think a lot of the the descriptions of richter are descriptions you could apply to any serious nazi like hitler and and his his uh clique yeah a man who's never apologized for anything yeah that's a pretty good he's description. a very committed nazi and and that's kind of a, a really strong description of him and it's something that you know it's very subtle but it kind of just speaks volumes as to what this yeah. person is and then we've got the setting post-war germany mm -hmm. it's a wasteland yeah I don't really know what post-war Germany was like. 
I don't know how historically accurate this is, but it was right. certainly a place where there was a lot of different things going on, and there was a lot of rebuilding. There were four different armies trying to essentially control the situation. You had the Americans, the British, the French, and the Russians, all with different areas of Germany and trying to... Yeah, I mean, I can only imagine that it would be chaos. I mean, it doesn't take that much to imagine a a, a war-torn country that lost, you know, and how citizens and everything uh, rebuild everything. So, yeah, especially six months after the war, it's definitely in that stage of absolute devastation. What I do know about post-war on Germany, some of it comes from my grandfather who was stationed there in Mm. the... um, in the occupation. Oh, wow. And the other bits I know come from Kurt Vonnegut. And Kurt Vonnegut, he wrote his book Slaughterhouse Five about his time in Germany as a prisoner of war. Mm. And it is it's a very unique book. It's probably one of the greatest books ever written. It's one of the best books of the, the 20th century. In that book, he describes Slaughterhouse Five is the location where he was being kept as a as a prisoner of war in Dresden. Mm. And Dresden was a city that had pretty much escaped most of the damage of the war. Mm. And um, the Germans had been bombing Britain for years in the Blitz. And uh, towards the end, what started to happen is that... Um, more and more targets were being designated as military, even though they probably weren't military targets. Mm. The British were prepared to to firebomb civilian populations in the name of ending the war early, destroying the German morale. And Dresden had been this beautiful city, had incredible architecture and all this stuff. The way Vonnegut describes it, so he was in the slaughterhouse, And the bombing happened overnight. And he says, when they went outside, Dresden was like the moon. Mm. That was it. Like everything was just white and rubble. Mm. So as it says in, in his book, he says, one thing was clear. Absolutely everybody in the city was supposed to be dead, regardless of what they were. And that, and anybody that moved in it represented a flaw in the design. Mm. So this is the world that that we're looking at right now. And this is going to be, this can be made as epic as they want on screen. We're so used to seeing World War II in action with the planes and the tanks and ships and Saving Private Ryan, uh, Dunkirk, all these kind of films. Mm. But this is going to be something, this is going to be in that rubble, in in that surface of the moon, that wasteland. Yeah. That's going to be really, really interesting. That's what struck me about the script, too, is that the setting is actually different from other World War II films. It's not during the war. It's like right after the war and not long enough after the war where you're dealing with other issues, the the residue of all this destruction. So, yeah, I, I can't wait to, to see what they do visually with it. And, and it kind of has like a post-apocalyptic feel to it. Yeah. It, it definitely has that you don't know who you can trust. Everyone's just trying to survive there's no real structure for society it really is i think at one point um you know they're all about justice these characters well our our protagonists you know they want justice and at one point elsa says there is no justice men are just taking what they want that's it 
and and it kind of puts everything in perspective. Everyone's just trying to survive. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a very bleak situation.、Mm-hmm. Very bleak, and and there's obviously a real difference between the occupying armies, which are just coming in and right and trying to keep order, and the、right. people who actually have to live right, and the fact that. Old resentments are coming out. So when we first meet Elsa,、mm-hmm. she's having her hair shorn off, and、mm-hmm. we're not entirely sure how she ended up in this situation. But yeah, she must have had to have collaborated in some way to to save herself. Yeah,、um, yeah. But but she's really been through probably the worst of it all herself.、Mm-hmm. So again, it's just this this survival motif. Definitely, and I think we're presented. With these two characters, you know the captain and Elsa, kind of the same way. You know we see them in a very torn manner, and then it doesn't explain why. And the whole film is a journey as to, and it feels natural. You know, it's not like oh we're going to stop here and now we're going to reveal this part and now we're going to like it all felt very organically.、Mm-hmm. How slowly it's unraveled why they're in that position that they are. Yeah, and I think it slowly becomes clear why the captain doesn't reveal everything he knows to Elsa.、Either. Yes,、yeah. yes, yes. Which is one of the most tragic aspects of the film. And in the background of all this is that there's these kind of resistance forces in in Germany that are still trying to carry on the war.、Mm-hmm. The, it's called Operation Werewolf, right?、Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Operation Werewolf is is essentially. The Nazis trying to having like one last attempt at trying to,、right. to take back control. Yeah, yeah. It's quite obviously a losing battle. Yeah, obviously the、yeah. people who are most hardcore in their in their ideology are still fighting on because what is there left to do if if your entire yeah life ideology is 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 ended? You yeah you can go down with it or you can change. And that's exactly the the level of brainwashing that went on. You know, it's like they're they're loyal. That's、mm-hmm. that's their their end game. They'd rather die than to betray to betray their beliefs, and so they're so ingrained with that that there's no other option but to continue. Even though they lost, you know, there's、yeah. no option for them, which makes them that makes them incredibly dangerous because it doesn't matter. It's not about winning or losing. It's about this is what I believe, and I will stop at nothing. To make sure that this goes through, yeah, they're fanatical. Yeah, yeah, and the captain is is putting a stop to that, and that's that's our initial understanding of the、yeah. captain is he is in some way a Nazi who has turned around、mm-hmm. and is now eliminating the Nazis who are continuing to fight. Yeah, and that's all we really know about him, and we know that Richter is kind of one of the the top guys in that Operation、right. Werewolf. So we get a flashback eventually of of them back in 1941 when the war is going well. the The captain looks younger. He's wearing a, this、uh, black SS uniform, and the screenplay describes him this way: the captain's eyes shine with a terrifying conviction. So he's fully immersed in it、yep. at that point as well. Yeah, and he's drinking with Richter and the other members of this group, and we start to realize. That the people who he's hunting down, who we've seen him kill in earlier scenes, are there in that flashback. So、yep. he was with them. Yeah, he knew them, and he's actually going after people that he knew. 
Yep. Which makes it even more intriguing because you have these parallel sort of visuals of him violently killing these men and then showing him like as one of their brothers. Mm-hmm. Richter at this time is described as having uh, the talent to manipulate others and that he he's described as a sociopath. Mm-hmm. Again, these are very strong parallels with Hitler himself and mm-hmm. and other significant Nazi figures. And when he talks to the captain, he he says that the war is essentially an opportunity to reinvent the world in their image. And that reinvention of the world is essentially a very sinister use of language to mm. suggest removing other people from that world. Yeah. They get to choose who gets to live in that world. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason why they want to do that. And we all know which people are not allowed. <laughs> yeah. So the and and these guys are really involved in that yeah. mission. They're not just like common foot soldiers who are just fighting for the machine and don't really think about it. They're they're involved in this mission of eliminating groups of people from yeah. the world so that in their future only people of their race will will mm-hmm. exist. And this is a common motif in in these films as well that uh Schindler's List has this as well. The idea that that these Nazi ideologues are in some way very kind of messed up in their their sexuality and their because Richter has this relationship with with Elsa that we start to learn about. Yes, and um, the same happens with Amon in Schindler's List that he's he's attracted to one of the Jewish yeah women who is working in the camp and right there's something just. It reminds me of that thing about the idea that most homophobes have some sort of homosexual tendencies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it it kind of reminds me of that yeah. it's it's that idea that 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 obviously your your mind can't really work that way. You can't believe that other humans are not human. You can really push it and you can really try and convince yourself, but it will lead to a some sort of psychic issue i mean you can tell like you said mentally try to get to the point where you do perceive other people as below you but Mm -hmm. that's still your reality that's going to come into friction with reality you know the truth and And a lot of what these soldiers are doing seems to in in the in the scene set back during the war and the holocaust is they're essentially trying to prove that they really do think that way but it's it's causing psychic damage to them, and the captain is a reflection of that. His the right. the fact that he is occasionally considering suicide, he doesn't. He, he's he's finding it unbearable to go on living, having yeah. seen what he's seen. And I think one of the things that's really interesting about this story in particular is that the more we discover about the captain, the the more we start without revealing too much, but we start to really see that his motives for doing this has nothing to do with the personal. And that to me was like the biggest sort of twist because it kind of leads you on to believe like, oh, did he lose his mom? Like what what happened? Did he, you know, was there a betrayal? Did he fall in love with someone that made him change his mind? There was nothing, nothing personal was taken from him. It was, it, it almost felt like it was, a human being realizing what was going on. And that to me was the most powerful thing about it because it, it's just, uh, in some of the scenes in the Holocaust, 
so there's a couple of flashbacks um and we do get to see some some holocaust scenes and in these scenes you know we see his struggle and we see that his struggle has nothing to do with anything but the fact that this is something that is going against his nature and he's starting to realize that what they're doing is not is not right and and i think that was the most powerful thing about his journey is that it had nothing to do with like the revenge is simply an atonement it's not necessarily he's trying to get back because something was taken from yeah, him this is a character with a conscience yeah and we don't really understand the conscience but right it's there and it will it will upset you if if you upset it so yeah th- whatever he thought he was capable of doing comes back and and he can't reconcile that with with his self anymore and i mean and you could almost argue the whole journey is kind of selfish too he's trying to kind of calm his conscience and i think yeah initially the reason why he's doing this he's doing all these killings and i think he's trying to make himself feel better on a subconscious level trying to mm-hmm. atone for something but we, we i mean it's too much because he we get to see that he was very much involved in the whole procedure and even at mm-hmm. one point elsa brings it up like well why haven't you killed yourself like you were part of it too yeah so and th- that's the question that. he that question hits him so hard because it's yeah. a question he's been asking himself exactly throughout right and will be asking himself for the rest of his life so he needs to get to richter that's the ultimate goal and it comes into he finds out that elsa is the only one that knows where he is so he goes looking for her in the process of looking for her they find out that they're after her they're ordered to kill her as well so there's like a two parties kind of going yeah, after so her the at operation the same time Sorry, the Operation Werewolf guys say on the radio, right. kill the girl. Kill the girl, yeah. So the captain goes to try to get to the girl before anyone else can get to her and kill her first. Because right. he knows that she knows where Richter is. And yes. if he wants to get to Richter, that's kind of his, yeah, his ultimate goal is to kill the worst of the worst. Right, right. So he, he's going after her for information. He wants to use her and her dying is basically the end of his journey so he it's a must and and he does end up rescuing her and saving her i mean she gets stabbed and she gets hurt but they kind of team up yeah and that that starts the main meat of the story is uh, this journey that they take together mm-hmm. and it's the most unlikely of pairings right the that idea of two people who really shouldn't be together going on a journey together the starkest contrast being that it's uh, an XSS soldier and a Holocaust survivor mm-hmm. having to team up and work together. The first place they stop off is at this this atrocious brothel where we get another sense of how low things have sunk to in post-war Germany and yeah. how how desperate people are that they've got these these kids prostituting themselves and and the stuff is is going on in broad daylight essentially there's there's no rules there's no laws to protect anyone anymore right and the the captain's trying to get petrol for the for the motorbike i think mm-hmm. right and right but then they get jumped there there's a lot of action scenes in this yeah i mean it's kind of like a kind of like an adventure tale in a way yeah. like they go to one spot and then they go to the next one and so there's a lot of different locations there's that danger they, around that the they corner. go to right yeah. And but the thing is, is like you know, usually in a film like that, 
there's usually like one scene or one location where it's not as important or as powerful or whatever. I feel like every single location, every single sequence is so good. It's so well described. And the the brothel scene that you're talking about, um, one of the, the things that's stood out to me was the description of it of everyone in there and how miserable everyone was even the mm-hmm. people that were paying to have sex like no one is happy yeah. there i mean it paints like a really vivid picture of date of the country it doesn't i mean this is a place where you go and get pleasure but there's no pleasure to be found everyone's fucking mm-hmm. sad yeah the location is also important because it gives us a better sense of who elsa is and it's seeing her mm-hmm. reaction uh, it's described as the sounds of sex and violence surrounding them. It it affects Elsa, and mm. it's taking it's taking a toll on her. It's reminding her of something, and we as readers are seeing okay, whatever whatever happened to her is in some way related to sex and violence. Right, it's it's giving us that reflection of the character as well. It's the first clue. Yeah. The captain's able to move through this this location with a bit more ease than she is. Right, yeah. It kind of it kind of sets up the next uh, reveal of information mm-hmm. of her, and then and, th- and this is kind of what the script does really well. It kind of gives you a little, almost like a little clue, and then so by the time the next thing is revealed, you piece that clue to that clue, and you're like, ah, like so you're slowly building a picture of the each character really. Mm-hmm. It's not like all of a sudden you get a flashback and it explains everything. Yeah. I hate it when films do that. And this one is like very meticulously plotted, I feel. Yeah. And that was the first clue. You're right. Yeah, the details her. are scattered very uh, carefully and yeah. with good pacing. Mm-hmm. She has survivor's guilt, it turns out. Yes. So she, she does reveal to the captain after that scene what happened to her, that she was Richter's lover in the camp Mm -hmm. but we also know that that she was there as a prisoner right and she would have been killed if she hadn't been richter's lover right so the survivor's guilt is coming from the fact that she doesn't know why she was picked and she that's the question she's asking she's asking why why was why was it me and i think she said something along the lines that you know was i such a good fuck that this mm-hmm. is why I'm alive. Like that bothers her. And actually, when I read that that part of the script, I I thought, damn, like whoever she gets with after this, you know, her romantic partner, you know, it's going to be a lot of uh, issues to go through there. Well, this is know. the ruin. the The whole question is: Is there any way out of this? Yeah, yeah. Um, there is something that she wants. There's something that keeps her going, and it's related to that relationship with Richter. Yeah. So we do get the sense that there is something that will keep her going. Yes. She definitely has a conviction, especially in the way that she kills one of the officers. I think it was Warner. The way she just violently stabs him in the throat or something. I mean, she mm-hmm. can fucking kill. You know, yeah. she she definitely has a mission. And, and, we, can, and we know that from the get-go because she, we know that she has the same objective that the captain does. And it's part of Which the reason is to get to Richter, right? For, so for a different reason, exactly. I think we can reveal this bit, and then I think after this point, we won't give anyone any spoilers. But this is still the sure. setup. Yeah, yeah. The setup is that Richter has her child, so <gasps> she had, alert. Okay. she had a kid. Yeah, in the camp. Yeah, and Richter kept it because yes. he and his wife couldn't have a child 
So he kept this child, despite being a hardcore Nazi, he kept his half-Jewish child yep. uh, to raise as a German child with his German wife. Right. And it's kind of like, it reminded me of Kill Bill a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, all of a sudden she's going after her baby and, and there's some similarities in that. But yes. I uh, think these guys must really love Tarantino. I think based so. Based on based on this script. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of Tarantino-ness. Like there's mm-hmm. parts of it where I'm like, oh, this feels like Inglorious Bastard. And there was literally one scene towards the end. I won't give away too much, but where they get to a, an objective and they're expecting one thing and then they it's very Kill Bill volume two. Mm-hmm. Um there's a lot of parallels with that. But then it has its own twist, so it's not like it's completely the same. No, I mean ultimately it's a screenplay that that knows that combined language of these kind of films. It knows how Western works. Yeah. It knows how Tarantino films work. It knows how war films work. So it it's combining all these different pieces mm-hmm. and creating something new out of out of these various inspirations. Absolutely. And their sense of pace is really, really good. And and just sort of the contrast of violence and then they'll go to you know, a nature setting, like, you know, there's the trees and it even describes it as peaceful. And, and so you have this contrast back and forth. It kind of helps the pacing. So it's not just like violence after violence. There's all this like, it has a really nice flow to it. It's motivated by the characters and what they encounter in each location. So it never feels like there's like a, they have like a map and they're mapping no, everything the, out. It's I don't think they really organic. know where they're going entirely. Right. They They have a sense of the final destination and yeah. but this is this is a harsh world that they're in once they've kind of agreed that they're going to team up the captain's going to help her get back to the child if the child is still alive that's not clear mm-hmm. they go to a new location and they're going to kill a guy called Alphonse and this scene takes up quite a big space in the middle and mm-hmm. so it, it is quite a critical part of the story even though it seems simple as a uh, just another execution they have to go and carry out, it doesn't end up that way. They they start to struggle with what they're doing. The captain starts to have a panic attack when he's oh yeah he's got his sniper rifle right pointed at the guy, and this nervous kind of breakdown that's happening within him is start it it's it's affecting his ability to to function and carry on. Mm-hmm. With the even if he thinks that this violence is justified, it's it's really taking its toll on him now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I think Elsa notices this too, and in a way, she kind of begins to see him in a slightly different way. This is also a sequence where we, well, at least the way I was imagining it, like it has a lot of extras and it has fireworks and it's mm-hmm. like a proper yeah. you know celebration, and and that was kind of a welcome change to the pace it was going and in terms of like the the settings and locations now we're in a slightly different um setting which made it more interesting and the guy who they're going after is someone of more importance than the ones before and i think this is the sequence where it's revealed that you know she is after her baby Mm -hmm. i'm not entirely sure this is a doctor yeah so he he was the doctor who delivered the baby Mm -hmm. and that that affects her ability to kill him yes um, the what's affecting the captain's ability to kill him isn't entirely clear i think it's more on the personal level on that that mm-hmm. just being so fed up with the violence that he's 
the last one carrying out the violence it it seems so he's he's struggling to <laughs> to continue going yeah um yeah there are lots of really interesting details in this script that you can't really do so mm. easily as as they wrote them so there's a a note here in the well in the description it says the russians need people even germans to help rebuild the country so they're in a russian area right and it says she considers this in all its unfairness and injustice now that i don't know how you're going to convey that on screen they might really have to like kind of change that before mm. they actually film it so that there's a way of expressing that because it it does raise a very interesting point the people of germany were not wiped out by world war ii right the country had to be rebuilt by germans who had contributed in various ways to the third reich beforehand so it's it's not suddenly this this full reset and everyone gets mm. a free pass that the, the people that that had lived through that mm. have to go on and carry on and make the new germany mm. so i don't know how they're entirely going to be able to show these things in that are in the script but i really like that they kept it in the screenplay so that it can be brought into the film yeah i mean it's definitely there but obviously it's a visual medium so they're gonna have to find another way for that uh but yeah, you kind of do get a little of wider scope in this scene. It's not just the two of them anymore. You get a lighter, I mean, a more wider scope on the political and and a really cool action sequence towards the end. You know, yeah. how they finally get. Well, there's a lot of tension. The there's a lot of suspense. Yes. So they're building yeah. this suspense up with these uh -huh. opportunities to kill him. So there's the scene with him waiting for the toilet. And Elsa is there as well, also waiting for a toilet. Oh, and yeah, she thinks, yeah, yeah. I could kill him now, but she can't do it. Because she has these morphine pens that were given to her by the nurse. Yeah. And she can't quite do it. And then she realizes she's almost risking him recognizing her. And, which he doesn't. Yeah. Which kind of lifts her, I mean, it kind of leaves her a little dumbfounded. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's one of the most powerful things as well this mm. idea that you could have done so much harm to someone and not remember that and person. not remember that yes person. yes and that that was my take from that that's too. one of the most terrible things yeah. about this setting is the amount of what had essentially happened is that the amount of pain and suffering that man was able to carry out yeah. was going in step with the technology mm. so you could gas a room full of people as opposed to shooting them all individually you you had machine guns if you want to mow down a group of people with bullets you can right. do so right this is so different to what the ethical decisions humanity had to make before if you had to physically beat someone to death or use an axe to chop them to pieces there's going to be a point where your ability to carry on doing that is going to end it for you. Mm. The bloodlust or whatever it is. Mm. Whereas we'd got to a point in the 40s where you could be up in a plane and drop a bomb and you'd have no idea who you killed or, that's or true. the suffering that you caused. You know? That is true, yeah. So that scene really, I think, reflects that whole... Mm. Just the whole impact of, of that. The idea that you could have damaged so many people and not really know what you did 
Yeah, and kind of getting away with it in a way. I mean, mm-hmm. at least consciously. You know, you, you don't remember that, so it's not going to bother you in any way, or you're not going to... There's no consequence in that sense, mm-hmm. in the moral sense. Yeah, and a lot of these, the guys the captain's going after, I think the idea of why he's going after them is because they're trying to carry on their lives, mm. and he doesn't think that's just. Mm. Right. He thinks that they've done things that are so terrible that their life needs to end. And then he's caught with that problem, that he's also in that category himself. Yep. He's also contributed to mm-hmm. the ex- in the exact same way as all of these others. Mm-hmm. So the Alphonse scene ends really with what I think we can kind of leave as the main cliffhanger of this episode, because we, we don't really go beyond the middle of the, the film. Anyone who's reading the script will know how it ends. And yeah, and we'll just wait, though, for, for when the film actually comes out to, to really get into the the, the details deta- of the end yeah because honestly after that it just gets really i mean i just loved it yeah and i mean i wish i could go into detail of all the stuff and why i love it but you're right it, it's um i hate spoiling stuff for people i would love for people to just yeah. watch it and uh and that but yeah they, they definitely go through other obstacles after this yeah. and one of my favorite ones i won't reveal many details but they go to an abandoned town that still seems to be kind of intact and mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to be very affected by the war, but there's nobody there, or so they think. And then I love that sequence because it's the first time that we get to see a more human side to both our characters. Yeah. A more, like they actually get to smile, and, and there's actually a, um, there's a lightness that comes into the film. And at this point, it's a breath of fresh air. It's, you know, we've gone through so many dark and very disturbing sequences and then we get to this one scene where there's this like ray of light yeah it's it's not too far after this actually and so when alphonse is is dead Mm. they get his briefcase and they reveal another interesting fact about history by also revealing something critical to the story so the critical revelation to the story is that there's a passport for uh elsa's daughter oh yeah so, yeah. but it also reveals an interesting thing about history because that is kind of what happened to to certain Nazis as they escaped using fake documents mm. and then went to Argentina and yeah, th- this was done using these false documents and having these connections. Like, the, how do you get false documents? There has to be oh, yeah, some yeah. sort of mechanism, mm-hmm. and Alphonse was that mechanism in in this story he was the one who was getting the passports for for richter and the other members of the ss squad that the, that the captain is after right i was thinking that a really nice way to if they do choose to um try to visually show us all the people who he's planning on killing like in a intro credit scene or maybe even at the end or something like that but like to use those passport photos would be a really cool way to kind of give us a sense of mm. who his targets are going to be mm. the credits just have them just looking at those passport that's photos or something that's really cool. that's one of the things i think is slightly missing from the script the script tries to do it but maybe not too well they just have a flashback or something and say well these are the faces you'll recognize from i see from the action scenes where he's going around killing these people but it might be hard for people to notice that in like a 
a minute long flashback where there's some dialogue going on and things like that that these are all these characters that you'll see in the yeah in that way but it might work yeah i mean i think a a lot of that also deals with casting i think if Mm -hmm. you cast really um striking looking people not striking but not unique distinctive distinctive thank you distinctive looking actors then i think you know you'll be okay i think that's something tarantino does really well too because he's got a lot of characters sometimes in his films and you know he tends to cast very distinctive looking actors Mm -hmm. for them for that reason i think yeah, because we're we're thinking in visual terms again. Yeah. 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 You can't really write on the scene, oh yeah, you'll see this guy later. You know, which the script does. The a script lot. does do that. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what it I'm does. like, oh, okay. So yes, because but, it yeah. But it's helping us yes. know that fact, yes. but it's not it's not the way that you'll be able to do it on screen. You won't be able to have someone exactly peek in from the side of the screen and say, Hey, you'll see him later. <laughs> or who knows? Maybe yeah. that's a creative choice. We'll see. Yeah. Maybe that, they get a little, that might ruin the authenticity. It would. Of the film. It would. <laughs> it honestly would. Yeah. I, um, I, I, I'd like to leave story wise. I'd like to leave it there. Sure. And we'll just, I, I just want to continue talking about the impact that the script kind of had the first time I read it. I wasn't the biggest fan. The second time I read it, I got it and thought it's much more than than what it seemed at first. At first, I thought it was just kind of a an action movie, a, a revenge story. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, there's a lot of those. And I'm not too sure about this usage of the Holocaust setting and stuff just to, to shock or just to, to create mm. this extra drama. But then on the second read, I, I finally saw that there was a lot more depth to the characters. Right. And that the the choices that were made were were considered. They mm. were definitely considered in in how they were going to set up these characters and, and ask these questions. Because like I think I, we said at the beginning of this episode, this is a moment where we have to reconsider the history. Reconsider how we are going to look at World War Two in the absence of memory. Mm. In the absence of people who lived through it and remember it. Mm. Um, mm. Okay. You know, my my grandfather lived through it. He died 10, 10, 11 years ago. Two of my grandmothers are still alive, but they're, they're both in their 90s. The, right. this, is, this is a critical moment in the history of the world. How do we deal with the worst event that ever happened in human history? How are we going to remember it mm. in the absence of ever having experienced it? These are going to be very distant memories. When I'm their age, if I ever reach their age, this will be something just, it'll be unimaginable to the, the kids of that time. Oh, you knew someone who was in World War Two, who right, lived through that right. period of time. And I think even in, well, in the 40s, it was obviously yeah, this, film this was and one photos. Of the first, and... it, it wasn't really a televised war, but it, there was some of the best movies in the world were being made before World War Two. You yes. know, like the Germans were exceptional movie makers yep. at that in the thirties, and Charlie Chaplin mm-hmm. inspired Hitler's mustache. And you know, Hitler thought he was yep. such a funny guy; he copied copied his mustache. So, film film was yep. around, yeah, but it wasn't the same kind of experience that we're used to. It, it no. still had a, a but we do have a time yeah. capsule of sorts in a way that that can be kind of passed down but you're right like you know this is films like this is it's because it's so immediate in a way mm-hmm. that you're right in 50 100 years 
the people who would make a film about the Holocaust were not really around for it, obviously. Yeah. So it's it is a critical kind of a crossroads point in a yeah, way. I, I I just think we need to have some definition of what is okay and what is not okay to do with these kind of films. Mm. And that doesn't mean we need to censor ourselves. And I don't think we need to censor ourselves in the way that Germany felt that it, it needed to censor itself up until now with mm. with its prohibitions on like Nazi iconography and things like that. Because I don't think it really, I don't think people just decide what's okay just based on what's on, allowed and what's not allowed. Yeah. I think Germany did very well in reinventing itself after the war. Yeah. But again, this we're now getting into a stage where people aren't alive who, who really went through it. So we're deciding what is going to be acceptable in the future. Yeah. And it might not necessarily need to be prohibitive. It just might need to be based on our, our own kind of common decency. That's yeah. That's all we need to expect of ourselves. Common decency and just, you know, knowledge and and understanding and, and having education about it, I mm -hmm. think. I think when you try to prohibit something or you're trying to censor something, I think you only make it bigger. You only make it more appealing. You know, why aren't we talking about it? Why well, okay, what what do you have there? I think that's the opposite effect that it mm -hmm. they think they're having yeah. when you're trying to prohibit stuff. So I think, you know, don't glamorize it, don't, you know, do all that stuff, but you know, exactly. say like this is what happened and not try to uh, assign so much shame and guilt to it because mm -hmm. when you try to like, oh, let's not talk about it, that is guilt, that is shame. Mm -hmm. And that I don't think is very productive i don't think that helps move forward in I fact i think the word glamorizing yeah. as you said that is exactly the thing i have a problem glamorizing can be done in so many different ways i think raising up all the the very few individuals who did something to help prevent the holocaust and to help those people is important but when you start to fictionalize that to make it seem like i see uh oh this is the holocaust story mm -hmm. it's it's evil people, and we're going to focus on this one good person who always does good. Maybe ruin might be a bit more like hyper violent than it needs to be. For but if you're actually exploring the impact of disaster on people's conscience and and asking more ethical questions, that's a good way to approach it. I think when mm -hmm. this isn't a playground for for us to just do silly things. It's it's a setting that I think has some sort of Still, it's it's a real cemetery, I'd say. Um, I, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, you got to be respectful it, of it. I, I can't remember the name. There was some guy who, uh, he, he would find people's selfies that they were taking in the Holocaust Memorial in Berlin and <laughs> and superimpose on the background pictures of the real Holocaust and, and essentially said, you're, you're dancing on the graves of victims if you're, if, you're, if you're messing around in this memorial. Oh, my God. And... That that's the kind of anarchic modern art that does make a serious point. The point is, what are we going to do with this this realm? Are we going to allow it to be a playground and just any old story can happen here, or is it going to be one with some genuine depth and explore some of the real themes? It should be contemplation. You know, mm -hmm. I think it's a place for contemplating and to sort of just meditate on why that happened mm -hmm. and the consequences of that and just sort of trying to understand human nature and how that it's in everybody. Yeah. And that, you know, the Holocaust, like you said earlier, 
was, you know, it wasn't just Hitler. It was normal people like you and me mm-hmm. that were carrying out orders, that were doing different things that contributed to it. And that's the scary part. The fact that it's normal people that carry on. So it's something within us that that does that. So I think, yeah, like you're saying, we should be respectful of that and and just give it the respect that it's due. And I think, I mean, for example, in Glorious Bastards, you, you said, I would think that you wouldn't like that movie because it does totally, he goes yeah. to that playground and he fucks shit up um in a way but not necessarily because it wasn't the holocaust it was more of like the war in general in a way but nonetheless so okay so here's my question to you what is the difference why is that film not glamorizing i think there are parts of inglorious bastards that went into the realm of glamorizing and and didn't do it right i think what's the name of that character the one who's he's a jewish guy with like a club or something and he goes and beats nazis to death oh i forgot his name yeah but yes i know exactly who you're talking about but you know some of that stuff i think is hmm maybe a bit insensitive but still i I don't know the right word to use it but potentially you could call this stuff kind of holocaust porn the idea of Mm. just pure revenge for the sake of it is it's not entirely appropriate but there's also a case to say, well, there isn't another Holocaust movie to be made. Um, Schindler's List was so good and Shoah was so good that there isn't really another one to be made in that realm, in the in the realm of it's just the, about the of respectful Holocaust movie. Mm. You know, how can you beat Schindler's List? Mm. That again was just pure cinema, utterly mm. beautiful. Yeah. All the way through. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I was just curious because, I mean, I love Inglourious Bastards, but I do yeah. understand that I do feel like, okay, plus he rewrote history. So it was like well, a that's big... thing. I think that's <laughs> also part of it. I think when you're not actually making any claims to being historical, yeah, you get a bit of a pass as well because... Yeah, exactly. Everyone knows that Hitler didn't die in a theater fire. Right. <laughs> so, you know, the this um yeah the fact that it's that it's just actually set in a completely alternate reality gives it some liberties i think the thing is that inglorious bastards did so much as a movie from that first scene i know I with love the it. just its use of cinematography of the use of languages and the sound and everything it's 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 such a great and well-crafted movie that it it enters into that realm of well yeah it did there are probably some things it probably should have stepped back from but ultimately it still was a movie about about cinema that that's what tarantino makes he makes cinema he makes movies that are just meant to be enjoyed and he's one of the best in the world at doing it yeah um i think, yeah. You, I think it's more when you're you're making claims that you're setting it within this reality and you write mm. something like based on a true story at the bottom and then you misrepresent fact that's when you need to be more careful yeah. i don't think anyone really minds about um things that claim to be purely fiction for the sake of it and then they get judged on the merits of being fictional and whether or not they were appropriate and right took the right sensibilities um 
But it, I think we should look at Inglorious Bastards at some point. We should, yeah. It's, it's one movie. of the key movies of the the 21st century, for sure. 2009, yeah. yeah. And Definitely. I mean, like Tarantino's done some some great films in the last uh, 18 years, but Inglorious Bastards is definitely one of his his best. I think it's my favorite one yeah. of his. That one in Pulp Fiction, for sure. And I think, you know, uh, going back to this film, the the setting's obviously real, but, you know, the characters are fictional and, and everything. And one of the things that I really liked about it is that, like how we were describing, how you were describing earlier, how they tend to paint it black and white. These are the villains and they just go and play in this playground. These guys playing in this playground, even the bad guys, there's hints of gray. There's mm-hmm. shades of gray. And one of the scenes is... Um, when they go and they come across these Soviet officers mm-hmm. and one of them in a very subtle way, there's, there's, there's a, there's more to what it seems. I, I, I'm trying to phrase it in a way where I don't give it away, but basically this officer, he ma- he makes a choice mm-hmm. based on his own internal conscience, as opposed to his role as a, and and this is kind of one of the things about any setting like this uh, where where people are in uniform mm-hmm. you're you're playing a role as a soldier as whatever you're doing in in the society of Nazi Germany or post-war Germany you're you're playing a role in some way yeah and it's it's con- this screenplay is constantly asking that question of do you have to play your role mm. should the captain have tried to have rebuilt his life and gone on hiding and dealing with his own internal demons but just gone on with life and rejoined society and right. acted like none of this ever happened mm. or does he want to do something about it same thing with with Elsa it's like what is she going to do about the experience that she's had in in the absence of any help and support and everything's gone to to ruin and that's why a character like Richter cannot belong in that world. It's it's not only is he evil, but he refuses to to accept that that's wrong to be evil, mm. which makes him a serious villain mm-hmm. because he's intelligent mm-hmm. and and utterly corrupted. And you know he's he he just has the worst of human nature. I think in yeah. the last scene that that um, towards the end. There's moments where, you know, you just really, there's no conscience there. It's mm-hmm. a lot of pure evil there, uh, which I, I do want to bring up the ending and kind of like the effect that it had on me, which was both inspiring and deeply affected by it in an emotional way. Because I felt at that point, unlike like unlike you when I read it the first time, I only read it once, but... It was like love at first read. Like I remember mm-hmm. by the time I got to page 10, I think, um, I really felt like I was reading something good. I felt like the way it was, it's a very confident script. And I wish I could articulate what that means, but it's something that I felt when I was reading it. It felt like it knew its characters, it knew the story it was telling, it knew when to reveal certain information. I got the sense that this was a script that it was on his 10th rewrite. Like this is a very fully fleshed 
uh, script and very tight and it's only in 96 pages so it's not a very long script but nonetheless it doesn't feel like a short film and it doesn't have much dialogue it doesn't have that so, much dialogue so much either. of it is descriptive and half of that is action scenes and the yeah. other half is details that they're going to need to find a way to yeah. to convey visually and a lot of like you were saying earlier a lot of inner inner yeah. world stuff it really takes its time for you to know for the reader to know what the characters are going through and that to me feels like it just felt like a very confident script and so i was by page 10 i was like okay this is interesting mm -hmm. and the more i read the more i cared about the characters the more i really wanted to find out what what happened to them what was going to happen to them and by the time i got to the last four or five pages i was literally like in it the whole time i was visualizing it was like a movie in my head like i was seeing mm -hmm. everything all the details and so at the end when it goes into its conclusion I was very affected because a part of me wanted a sort of resolution to certain things that were not given. Mm -hmm. And it was not frust it was slightly frustrating, but at the same time, it was like so amazing because then it really asked you, the audience, to engage. It asked you to participate because at this point, you know these characters so well. And then it's asking you to like, okay, so what's going to happen? Like it really is a very... Um, it doesn't really give you what you want, but it that's why it lingers, or it lingered in my head, in my this mind. Is, this is going to be very important in the making of this film, is mm -hmm. to what extent they keep this ending intact. They better not fuck it up, but that's, we'll see. I mean, this is, a, this is out of the hands of the original yeah. writers in some way now, uh, yeah. and their initial vision for the ending is very powerful. Mm -hmm. And it really will, I think, if it's done right, this could be one of the most memorable endings to a film. I, I, yeah, I loved it. I can't think of a, a... But they could do it wrong. They could. Yeah, yeah they could do and, it wrong. And if they do, we're going to have to refer back to the ink on paper that is the screenplay yeah. that we saw in this, this draft form and what we've been talking about now and say, no look back to what this was look at the potential it had yeah um, i really it's hard to ignore so i really i don't mm -hmm. i don't think that hopefully i don't like think they said. can change it. no because what, it what makes alternatives sense. are there but yeah that's that's my only fear is that that this again it's it will tie into that question of how are we going to treat this period of history how do we want these films to end if we want films to be always uh positive if we want them to always have a happy ending mm. i don't know i don't know either all i know is that you, I, you, can't, know. you can't really have a happy ending about world war it II, would be the worst of world war ii at least it would be disingenuous yeah. especially yeah. if you know if we have this story and then at the end like everyone breaks into a dance and it's all good <laughs> kind of like slumdog but that, that's different that was the slumdog <laughs> that was good for that no but this one is it's I just, I've never come across like a, a script with an ending that felt very truthful to its characters. It wasn't trying, it almost feel like the, the, the writers were letting the characters dictate what the ending mm -hmm. was going to be. And then therefore kind of leaving it slightly open-ended. It wasn't like they were trying to create an ending for the characters. It really felt organic. And that to me really came across and I was, I'm, I was deeply inspired by the ending by the yeah. whole thing really. and one thing i will say about 
having read it the second time and knowing how it was going to end, there are lots of details uh, scattered throughout that are easily overlooked when you're reading it for the first time. And when you go back, you think the looks between characters, the way that they, the questions they do and don't answer, all Mm. of this, this is why this is such a tight screenplay. All of that is thought about. No one reveals anything by accident. Right. Everything that is revealed is done carefully, purposefully. There's a real intention behind everyone's actions, and those are good characters. The ones who are, they've got a, a strong agenda, and they're they're going for it. They're they're after their goals. Yeah. Yeah. No. Definitely. I, I very much appreciated that. I don't know if you want to continue talking about it more, or do you want to wrap it up? Let's wrap it up. All right, cool. I just want to reiterate one more time that I'm very excited about uh, the film version of this, and I really hope they do a really good job. As things get closer to yeah. this film actually coming out, I think we'll know a lot more. At the moment, the IMDb page is there's very sparse. There's, there's no real information. Thank you all for listening and for continuing to support the show. Please do recommend us to any of your friends that you think would be interested, as the more listeners we have, the easier it will be for us to keep doing this. Do check out the21strewrite.com, that's spelled with a two and a one, the21strewrite.com, and subscribe to us using the RSS feed in your favorite podcast app. Thank you. Thank you.